to the Don't Pick the Scab podcast with the premise of connecting men over 40 with the tools and community to thrive in their divorce recovery, either before, during, or after a divorce. Check it out. Welcome everybody out there to Don't Pick the Scab podcast, episode 24. We have Tracy from Canada, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, She is a mind body wellness expert with over 25 years of experience. She focuses on counseling men, dealing with men and their child alienation during or after divorce. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Tracy. And then I got a couple of questions for you because this this subject is very, very near and dear to my heart. Well, thank you for inviting me here, David. Um, Yeah, I've been, as we were just talking a, a moment ago, um, I've been a practitioner of homeopathic medicine for a little over 25 years. So treating people for everything from mental and emotional troubles to, to physical problems, illness, chronic disease, that sort of thing. And in my personal life, I'm divorced. I've been divorced about 25 years and, uh, and I'm remarried and I've been with my new husband for about 17, 18 years now. And when, when I got divorced, of course it was traumatic, but not with respect to our daughter, who we were both very eager to maintain a, a, a kind of collegial relationship between mm-hmm. us for her sake. And so he would come to my house to pick her up. He would come in and say hello. And, you know, we were, we were on good terms with each other. I went to his place for Christmas day for many years so that she could have that experience with both of us and not have to do that shuffling back and forth. Um, so things went relatively smoothly on that front. And then when I got together with my new husband, it was the polar opposite. It was extremely high conflict. It was long distance. His kids lived three hours away by car. Uh, he was going there every week to see them. He was phoning when I met him, he was phoning every day, twice a day, you know, morning before school and evening after supper. Um, but there was a great deal of conflict. There was heavy alienation. All kinds of issues were coming up. And, you know, I sort of walked that path beside him for, mm-hmm. for about 10 years. Like it was a long time. Uh, even though during that time, um, his two older kids, had come to live with us, one for just a period of about six months before going back to live with his mom. And, and the next son came and stayed. And, you know, that was about, uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And he did not ever go back to his mom. So he's, of course, off out in the world now, but, um, stayed with us. And when finally the third and youngest child came to live with us full time, it just felt like the dust had settled. I felt like we were standing in the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that mm-hmm. feeling of like, like, wow, that was a lot of really hard work. And we've kind of arrived somewhere where it's not like all the problems are gone, but the, the heavy lifting was done. The, the big waves were, were finished. And I just had a sense that I had learned stuff through that journey that I wanted to be able to share with people. And my first impulse was to reach out to stepmoms, to other women like me who were Mm -hmm. married or living with a guy who was having this kind of dynamic in his life with his kids and how difficult it was for me and how much of my 
homeopathic background I brought to finding a role for myself in this family that would not tread on on the mother energy because I instinctively knew how important that is. And and as part of my homeopathic world, you know, I learned a lot about childhood development and human psychology, family dynamics, family constellation therapy. I had learned about and and done a little bit of. So I had a very strong sense of of where not to tread as a stepmom. And and also how to, you know, how to have a sort of positive role in the family, not just like, who am I not, but like, who am I? So you knew where the linemen were? I knew where the landmines were, although you're correct to call them landmines because you just never know when you're going to step on one. <laughs> I, I describe it as an invisible curb that you keep stubbing your toe on. You know, like it's an invisible curve that move curb that moves every day. And you just don't know that you're overstepping until you slam your toe into it. So like I've been there over and over again, mm-hmm. even still, even, even still after 18 years, there can be a moment of that invisible curb popping up in my world. I realized that the biggest problems that the stepmoms were having really belonged to their husbands, their partners, the dads of these kids. So after working with the stepmoms for a number of years, I realized that at the end of the day, the biggest problems they were having were ones that belonged to the dad, to their partner, to the parent of these children in question. And that I can teach a stepmom how to have a better connection with the kids. I can teach how to step back, you know, how to disengage a little bit, how to make space for a better relationship between the kids and their dad. But, but finally, a lot of the issues boil down to the dads not knowing how to cope with fatherhood in this completely new landscape where there's so much hostility, mm-hmm. where, there's, where, the, where he's being undermined in his authority at the other home, where you know, there's a parent telling the kids, you don't have to listen to him or to, you know, the dreaded, like you start calling him by his first name, which I, I have a client in my practice now who told me yesterday that this has been happening to him. And it's impossible to believe, but people really do stuff like that. Not just a few. It's a, um, it's a trend. So I decided that probably the dads didn't have as much support as they need, probably. I mean, there was hardly anything available. When First of all, when I started, there was hardly anything available for stepmoms. And now you can throw a rock on Instagram and hit someone who's a stepmom coach. I mean, it's it became really, really popular in the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that has not been the case yet for, for the dads, at, which is why I'm so happy to see shows like yours and other people's um, cropping up because dads really, really need a boost here. And I started to, the more I, the more I looked into it, the more I started providing resources through, again, a Facebook group, another podcast, the Undeletable Dad podcast. Um, I started to have a greater and greater respect for fatherhood in general, for the importance of fatherhood 
to society, to raising the, the, who, the you know, the next adults, like the, mm-hmm. the humans who are children now require input from fathers and fatherhood in general in order to become self-sufficient, well-adjusted adult human beings. It's required. And the idea that so many kids are being deprived of this through the terrible family court system, through, you know, I don't know, misinterpretation of ideas about about men and fathers and what we call toxic masculinity, you know, mm-hmm. that's really, I think, scared a lot of dads into second guessing their instincts and and also just not really understanding how to move in this brand new environment, which has never existed before in all of humanity. There has never been a society in history that raised children in two homes that were not cooperating. You know, we have all this, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, of course, there are lots of places where multiple households are involved in raising children, but they're all cooperating with each other. There is no society that has ever tried to propagate itself with this level of division, where half of the kids in the world, certainly half of the kids in the Western world, are living in two homes uh, where they're hearing different messages, where the values are different, where the parents are actively undermining each other's authority. This is a recipe for disaster. And there, you know, how could anybody be expected to know how to do this? So I feel like I really set to work to um, kind of codify all of the random things that that work to um, to restore a dad to a position of leadership in the family, despite despite having no access, for instance. Yep. You know, that Half can access. still yep. that energy can still be activated even if you have zero access to your kids. So that's where I come in uh, saying like, this is a thing and I, I want to help guys figure out how to do that for themselves. Wow. I had a question, but you just stumped on it. Um, how can a man lead when he has no access? That's interesting. Well, how does yeah. that work? Cause I know a lot of guys that in that situation. Yeah. So the short answer, and it won't make any sense yet, but the short answer is you lead with your energy. So the first thing is that you have to know that you're still the leader and that you are going to deliver your codes to your children through whatever, um, whatever kind of space time you know, I, I love to use that word because that's the, mm-hmm. that's the name of my business now. We just, I just mentioned a little while ago that it was, it's a, the name of a business that my parents incorporated in 1969. And I'm, I'm so happy to take it over. But space time says everything, right? Like we are going to rip open space time, quite literally, to do this. So like we have now so much, um, tech, uh, options for doing things that weren't possible before. And I have a series of videos that I created at one point about what to do if you lose access. And it goes over things like how to use the postal system, 
how to send things by registered mail that have to be either accepted or returned, how to keep um, an archive of these things that you're sending, you know, a photographic record or an mm -hmm. actual box, um, how to how to use social media to your advantage. Because if you think kids aren't on social media, like they can find you and they are looking for you there. So the, the core of it is believing in your connection, believing mm -hmm. in your leadership, believing that whatever your kids are saying, they are secretly stalking you online because <laughs> they are. Interesting. And so, you know, you have to plant the seeds of what you want them to see because they're looking for it. So a lot of guys, I think, make the mistake of using social media as a soapbox mm -hmm. to talk about how wrong it is, what's happening to them and, yeah. and how, no, you know, nobody knows the truth about them and they just want to be with their kids and they're so sad because they can't see their kids, whatever. You want to create your profile to be the one that you want your children to see. And what, your ch what you want your children to see is you serving serving your codes on a platter and not expecting anything to come back to you gotcha. because because the masculine energy i mean i'm a lot about masculine and feminine energy too and that's so not pc right now mm -hmm. to even say that there could be a difference between masculine and feminine but let's face it it's part of the it's part of the world of physics there are positive and negative electrical or magnetic poles to everything, right? That's how mm -hmm. all of chemistry works. We can't, we can't wipe out reality in the interest of, of, um, I don't know, being politically correct. So in the, in nature, in the, in the animal world and in the plant kingdom, masculine energy is about sending something outward mm -hmm. and feminine energy is about receiving it inward. And, Let's be clear that men and women have both of those activities in them. Men and women are full of masculine and feminine. We all have masculine and feminine hormones in us. Mm -hmm. but, so it's not about assigning roles to people of different genders. But there, is a, there, there are receptors inside of children looking for these codes, these masculine codes of, of fatherhood and that is about what happens outside of your family. It's about, it's about going out into society and being successful, about um, being assertive, about being competitive. It's about engaging with risk. It's about socializing. Those things are part of the fatherhood codes. And the interesting thing that I think dads don't realize enough is that they have a huge advantage in this alienation game because the function of fathers becomes more and more important the closer the kids get to adulthood. And the function of motherhood is most important at the very beginning of life where like, you know, before there was artificial food, you could only live if you had a mother to feed mm -hmm. you, right? And mothers are all about like security and love and family and nurturing and, you know, what happens inside the home. And so the maximum impact of that, the maximum value of it, let's say, in terms of your development is 
happening at the earliest parts of life. And the maximum impact of dad, even though dads can be hugely impactful from, Mm -hmm. you know, from the first day of life, right? But the maximum impact of dad is happening the closer and closer you get to adulthood. So that kids who are alienated are driven from inside to reach out for those dad codes. And dads are more represented as I'm going to say victims, although it's a terrible word, as the target parent. Mm-hmm. It happens more to Most dads time, yes. that they get alienated, yep. but it is easier to fix. Mm-hmm. It's easier to repair for dads. It is much harder game to help mothers reestablish that strong connection because the mother can be, I don't know, I want to say loved in an idealistic way from afar, mm-hmm. but her new input isn't as essential to the oh, developmental needs of the child. Okay. So I've seen friend of a friend and people on Reddit, and I've seen this scenario quite a bit where the kids are in, in high school or junior high, and they've been alienated to the dad. Uh, they swallow the pill, the mom pill, which I call, you know, they say, hey, your dad's a piece of crap. He doesn't love us. And it's an uphill battle. And so what you're telling me is you still have to provide that positive energy no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you have to understand (laughs) that there are multiple dimensions in our, in our world and that you are not restricted to what looks obvious to you. So let me tell you a story, okay? There's a woman who you can look up if you don't already know her. Uh, Her name is Petra Dieter. And she runs a website called victimtohero.com. So shout out to Petra. She's amazing. She's a filmmaker who has made uh, several uh, films, certainly one feature-length film about parental alienation. But she has such an interesting story. She grew up in Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken. And... uh, her father left when she was very young and she's the only child and she had no reason to disbelieve the the narrative like your dad's a bad guy he left Mm -hmm. us we don't want anything to do with him blah 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 and she said she would have said that to anybody who asked her without hesitation and it's what she believed and at the same time she would regularly steal pennies and coins when she would find them so that Every time she would hear that her father had had a poem published in the newspaper, because he was a poet, she would secretly go and buy the newspaper to read it and find out if their poem was about her. And so flash forward to her adult life, and her dad reaches out to her, and she tells him to take a flying, I don't know if I'm supposed to swear on this podcast, Uh, but, you know, (laughs) she says, like, blow off. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. You're a terrible guy. You were never there for me. This was like in her, you know, late 30s or early 40s or something, you know? So even at that age of her life, when she was already a mother, mm-hmm. she still, the, the, the front part of her still believed this narrative. And some years later, a relative reached out to her and said, I just feel like I have to tell you something important about your childhood or about your dad. And told her whole story about how her dad had continuously tried to get access to see her. 
like all the years of her childhood Mm -hmm. and that he had an archive of all the stuff that he had tried to send her that the mom had sent back or never taken, you know, receipt of or whatever. And so she went online and started hunting and she found a website that he had created for her that was an archive reaching right back to her earliest childhood, showing, in fact, that there was a dad who loved her in the shadows all of her life and that it was her mother who kept him away. And this changed her life. First of all, very sad to say that he had already passed away by the time that she found this. But in fact, he was able to influence her even beyond his years on the planet, right? And she literally changed the direction of her whole life to become a full-time champion of um, victims of parental alienation. And her her main work is... um, uh, on the legislative level, like sending petitions to Congress and showing up at the Senate and, you know, like making movies about mm-hmm. it. It's really, I mean, her whole work is now to honor his memory. So Whoa. people think like, oh man, I've missed their whole childhood and it's all done now and there's nothing I can do. Like if you're going to stand in that boohoo energy, um, like, that's not attractive. What your kids want to see is you saying, here I am, never giving up. Here's where to find me if you ever want to reach out. Mm -hmm. And here's what I have for you. So I'm coaching dads on how to create this kind of website, how to create a YouTube channel of videos, right? Your kids need a way to get something from you without having to betray their mother who will cut them off like it's a it's a survival thing for the child at whatever age right like my mother will not love me anymore if i want to have a relationship with my dad that is certainly what has happened to my own stepkids Mm -hmm. um they are just now starting to be able to repair with their mom in their middle 20s but um a lot of women play this card like you pick it's me or him And you just know that I'm cutting you off if you want a relationship with your dad. So they have to be able to engage with you in a way that doesn't threaten their relationship with their mother, which means it has to be a way that she can't see that they're doing it. It can't be on their phone or emails that she can track, right? You have to provide opportunities for them to receive from you without needing from your side mm-hmm. to hear back from them because that needy energy is not, that's the receiving part, right? So it's part of who you are as a human being. And I'm not saying that you're supposed to somehow become superhuman in the sense that you don't have needs anymore, but you are an adult person who ha- is surrounded with resources mm-hmm. to heal from your own wounds. And your fatherhood role is about addressing your children's wounds with what they need from you. And that is going to be very much a one-way game, but that is the leadership game. That's you saying, here I am, follow me. And you can be giving life lessons and, you know, even the information that rides on the frequency of your voice, it's impossible to overstate how important it could be for them to just hear the sound of your voice. I tell my clients, just just read stories into the camera, mm-hmm. you know, or into your phone. They just need to hear your voice. They don't even need to hear you saying something 
in particular. They're getting information from you. They're getting the fact that, that you love them, that you're a safe person, that you, you see them, you esteem them, you know that they're important. Um, like that's leadership where you say, I'm going first and not like first help me feel like a good dad and then I'll show up like a good dad. That's not how it works, right? Correct. Like I know it's ridiculous to say, like nobody feels like they're doing that. But when you're being rejected over and over again, um, you know, it's very hard to separate those parts of you. The part that says, okay, I understand that my, my child is rejecting me. And I mean, there are a couple of things about that rejection because you just mentioned the junior high and high school age. And that is the age when kids are supposed to reject their parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is adolescence. So what happens in parental alienation in, in our dynamic that we're talking about here is that mom kind of hijacks that process for her own <laughs> benefit. Wow. <laughs> right? So like mom is saying, you're right. You're an adult now. Like you don't need your dad anymore. Like you tell him, right? And kids have an automatic, you know, you get to be 12, 15, 17 years old. It's an inner urge to push back and say, no way, dad, I'm not doing that. Or dad, you don't know anything, you know, like yep. that's normal. But in this context, it's being hijacked and manipulated. Big time. So like if you could respond like a regular dad, it wouldn't be a problem, but you can't because every way that you respond to it in a normal way gets turned around and twisted. Like you see your dad's so, he's so angry. Like, that's why I divorced him, because he has anger management issues or whatever. So you have to find ways to just go around it and allow space for this rejection and say, go ahead and reject me, but I still love you because you're my kid. I don't care how many times you reject me. Like, you can't hurt me by rejecting me. Correct. So let me be clear about that. And you can go off camera and cry afterwards if you need to or throw up or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the energy that you come to this job with has to be so focused and precise and pure so that you're not there saying, in saying to yourself, please, I hope you hear this and reach out to me. You know, like yep. that is going to be the result. But in the meantime, when you change your own energy, everything around you changes. And when your kids perceive that you are strong enough to stand in the face of hurricane mom and not be moved, now they have the courage to reach out to you because you can protect them from her. Mm. They need to see that you can't be <laughs> harmed by her because they are pretty much scared shitless of her. Yep. Yeah. That makes a whole lot of sense. That's a huge faith, faith with a capital F, I think. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's, it's a leap of faith. Yep. And that is where we get into a very magical realm that I love talking about because this whole idea, like this is the, the piece that I'm working on now. Cause what you're saying is like, I wish there was a pill for that, mm -hmm. you know, and there actually is, it's not a pill, but it's a drop. Yep. 
because, you know, this particular kind of pill comes in liquid form and it's not pharmaceutical and it's has no side effects and it's not addictive. And it's, you know, that might sound like magic and it kind of is, but my world is full of testimonials from people who say, I can't believe this. It's changing my life. You know, Wow. we're looking at getting out of being ruled by your unconscious and your unconscious is so connected to survival. That's why it's so powerful, right? Like we have this animal brain that's working in the background. It's mm-hmm. not part of our rational thinking mind, but it's still there. All that fight or flight stuff, right? It's like part of our, our mm-hmm. animal brain development. And over the years, over the eons, the millennia, as we've become more and more sophisticated, animals, you know, sophisticated, having sophisticated minds. Now that animal part of your brain has access to your whole frontal cortex and all the possible things you could think about. So it's not just like, don't go in that cave, there's a snake in there. It's like, oh, what happens if this presentation at work doesn't go well? Like, I could get fired, and then I'll lose my house, and then we'll all be cold and hungry. Like, you're, you're, all of your thoughts now get hijacked by these survival concerns or survival Mm -hmm. fears. And we have to come face to face with our kind of worst case scenario thinking to be able to dissolve it and see that it's not a real thing. And the reality, like to be able to perceive the truth, the unfiltered truth, the undistorted truth, that's the goal of most, let's say, kinds of therapy or kinds of meditation, right? To to not be a victim of your own um, illusions, your own kind of hallucinations that seem so real. I mostly tell people that they're looking at the world, we're all looking at the world through not rose-colored glasses, but like dirty sunglasses where, you know, you lift them up and you go... Mm -hmm oh, what? Like, I didn't know that's how it looked. Like, we have all these perceptions that come from our conditioning. And from our, like, there's hereditary conditioning also that we that we have. And everything that we see and hear and perceive is being filtered through, is this safe for me? Mm-hmm. Like, what are all the possible bad outcomes that could happen, right? So once we get into this place where we can flip the switch and just see reality and reality for every father on the planet is that your children idolize you. There can be no other way. Even, even dads who beat their children, like you ask any policeman or judge how hard it is to get kids to testify against a parent who is physically abusive to them. Like, It's just not a real thing unless you are actually like such an asshole Mm -hmm. uh, consistently that your kids wake up and say, okay, like this guy is just really bad for me. I'm cutting him off. I mean, what is that? Like 1% of 1% of people? It's a, that would be like a rare psychiatric condition. Okay. But you think in yourself how you feel about your own father for all of his shortcomings, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody spends all of their life trying to please their father in some way, trying to be enough for their father, trying to get affection from their father. Like 
it's we're wired for it. Only when you're the father, you don't feel worthy of yeah. that degree of loyalty because of all this shadow unconscious stuff, right? So once you can stand in and make a leap of faith and say, okay, I, I believe that this has to be true, even if it doesn't seem true to me right now. And I'm just going to keep reaching out like that man did, like Petra's father, mm -hmm. who, you know, for whatever, 45 years, kept, uh, you know, kept diaries and logs and all the letters that he wrote for her and video of himself. He kept doing it and he never got to see in his lifetime the impact that it had only beyond his lifetime, it could be changing the world for all fathers who are in his position. So there really are multiple dimensions. And the leap of faith is the thing that it's like the spark plug that makes everything possible afterwards. Gotcha. Uh, let's, let's backtrack a little bit, man. That was interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So what are some of the early warning signs for parental alienation or man alienation. You know, the divorce has started. What are some of the warning signs that guys can look out for? I would say that, first of all, you have to know that parental alienation happens to some degree in about 80% of divorces. So mm. it, it's the, it is the normal response. Um, even if it, I don't mean normal in the sense that it should be normalized. I mean, it's the, you know, beyond average, it's the everyday experience of 80% of divorced parents. But it often, it often comes years down the line and it happens as the kids are approaching adolescence. So the thing to watch out for is the, the misuse of the child's growing autonomy. So letting them start to make their own decisions about where they want to be and how they want to connect. Um, there's an absurdity to it. It's like we are also in this current kind of social um, environment of wanting to respect everybody's rights and that children have rights too and that they should get to decide, that children should get to decide where they want to live or who they want to spend time with and it, that it's their right. And I think that it's easy to get tripped up there because, mm -hmm. so that's how, that's the early warning sign, okay, is that the mom is starting to say that the kids don't want to come and that they have a right to decide or that the kids themselves are, are you know, because they're not deciding for themselves. They're hearing it from somewhere else mm -hmm. that they don't have to come to dads. It probably wouldn't cross their mind. I mean, I think it's fair to say that by the time a kid is 15 or 16 and they have a social life, it might not be fair to ask them to go across town or to another town and they're starting to miss out on elements of their own social life that are desperately important to them at that age. You have to be clever enough to find other ways to connect with your kids that so that you are not competing with their actual social life, which is a real thing. But at age 10, 11, 12, like, you know, that's not happening. And to feel that you're not infringing on their rights, but that 
as a parent, um, you don't agree that a child is, is allowed to make life-changing decisions for themselves because they're not in a position to do that. We don't let children decide to quit school because they don't want to go anymore. Yeah. We don't let kids decide to, you know, you're not letting your 12-year-old decide to move in with her 19-year-old boyfriend because she wants to. Like, you know, you don't let your kids start drinking booze or doing drugs because everyone else is doing it and they want to do it too. Like, we have, as a society, we, we give parents the right to make decisions on behalf of their children until they are 18 years old. That's what we've collectively decided. And that's because you know shit that they don't know about what they need. They can't be expected to be the arbiters of their own best interests because they don't know what they need. And so it's not about, you know, stomping on their rights. It's about saying that you acknowledge what they want and you're going to do your best to make sure that they're getting everything that they need while they're with you. But you don't agree that at this age, they've come to a place where they no longer need input from their father because they don't know what's coming. They don't know what you're giving them. You know what you're giving them. So it's a, it's a change of, you get tripped up in the attitude of like, you're a bad guy if you're not respecting the rights of your children. And it's not about respecting their rights. It's about being the, what can I say? Society gives you the right to raise your children mm -hmm. however you see fit yep. until they're 18. And by the way, that right is no less after your divorce than it is when you're married. Yeah. I'm a firm believer of uh, you can make decisions when you get a job. So uh, yeah. you, can, you can knock that out. So how do you handle when you're coaching? How do you handle men and try to, I wouldn't say limit or help, but when they have resentment and anger and uh, the feelings of grief, uh, what are some suggestions you could give to my men over 40, divorcing over 40, how to handle that? Because that is huge. Having no control, basically. So, yeah, those are a lot of different things that you talked about. Uh, regaining control, like that's the easy part. You have to let go of controlling how it looks mm -hmm. to you. Like, in fact, you cannot control this plane right? This plane of existence is controlled by the family court system. It's being manipulated by your ex, the mother of these children, right? You have to move your sphere of influence somewhere that you can't be touched. So that is, a, uh, you know, something that you have to wrap your head around, like believing that there is this other plane of existence. And believe me, I work there. Like we work on energetics because, um, uh, your personal charisma as a father, it, this is your magnetism and your magnet has to be turned on for your kids to turn their heads and look towards you to find your beacon. It's your, your bat signal has to be on. And if you're in a place of like resentment and it's so not fair, what's happening to me and I'm, I'm getting a raw deal and I'm getting ripped off and I don't have my rights or whatever, that is, that is child energy. I'm sorry to say. And um, mm -hmm. your children don't need you to be another child with them. A lot of guys I see are behaving like a sibling to their kids. I've never heard about it, that way. Interesting. You know, it's the wrong energy. It's very counterintuitive because 
you want every interaction to be a good and happy and smooth one. And you want it all to be about watching movies and eating ice cream. But you know, what they actually are craving from you is direction and boundaries and not exclusively. You're not going to put on an army uniform and make them line up or something. It's not about being authoritarian. It's about finding new creative ways to establish yourself as uh, somebody who makes the rules. So, you know, being in control looks very, very different after divorce than you, what you thought it was before mm -hmm. or the, than the way that you were raised. So it's letting go of an attachment to it looking a certain way and getting on with the building blocks of creating that control in a better way. As for grief and loneliness and, you know, despair of anything ever changing, I think you have to get into some kind of uh, good support, peer support group where you can be with other men who are in this position and where you can feed from the successes that other people are having. And there are great things popping up like mushrooms everywhere for that kind of that kind of support. So, you know, it's important to uh, find these resources, including, you know, therapy or counseling for yourself as a, as a person, uh, but also to learn the ABCs of fatherhood in this new environment, uh, because it works as any, you know, yourself and any divorced dad will tell you, like, you're not in Kansas anymore. Like yep. it doesn't work the way it used to work but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. You have to just learn the new, the new techniques, the new um, systems that allow you to establish yourself as, as the leader of your family, as a place, you know, at the apex of your family mm -hmm. dynamic without uh, risking, um, uh, not risking, but, you know, without activating the whole machinery of alienation against you more. Wow. One of the things I see, and I mentioned this on all my podcasts, and it, a lot of the Reddits, a lot of the Facebook groups with men, uh, a lot of them have a hard time not letting go of not being able to control what happens at this ex-spouse's house. And that is a huge piece of machinery that should not be in the parking space of your brain. And Absolutely. It, I've seen it to the point where uh, one of the posts was where uh, the um, the mom was having the daughter call the new boyfriend daddy. And yeah. this guy was losing his mind over it. And and I just sat there. It's like, dude, you got to let it go. And it's hard. It, yeah. it, it is totally hard. But uh, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I think that it's that is one of the most destructive things that a mother can do to her child. So like this guy needs to redirect his indignation towards protecting his child instead of defending his own honor and his mm -hmm. own, right? Like he's feeling like he's being cut out. He's being dissed. He's being belittled or, um, you know, deleted or whatever. It's painful for him. And Again, that's not the energy that is going to turn this around for him because you can bang on the high chair tray of the universe until you're blue in the face. 
and it's not going to change anything. That is impotent anger. What you want to do instead is show up as such a father for your child that, like I said, that their innate need for you is going to turn towards you. You have to believe in your own value and just say, okay, like, to me, the name doesn't mean anything, but I don't permit my daughter's development to be fucked with in this way because this is messing her up. You have to say, I don't care how much she loves that man. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad if he's a good man, you can't have too many good influences in your life. Correct. I want her to love and admire this man who lives in her mother's house. But that is a whole different thing than he becomes daddy and I become Dave, yeah. right? Like that's not happening here. So he needs to stand up in a different way and stop banging his fists on the high chair tray because that's not getting him anywhere. Impotent I anger. Man, I love that. Impotent anger. That's a hell of a coin phrase. So if you have one thing to impart to my divorce men over 40, if you could open up their brains and drop the one knowledge <laughs> that you want to tell them, don't forget this part, what would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> Just one thing. One thing. Just one thing. Whatever it looks like on the outside, your kids are secretly longing for something from you. It doesn't matter how much time you get with them right now. You can deliver what they need. And if that's your focus of saying, what? Where's the way, you know, like the door, mm -hmm. the door is locked to their house. So I'm going to go around the back door. I'm going to break in a window. I'm going to dig a tunnel under the house. I'm going to come down the chimney. Like you just don't stop. And you don't stop when they say like, dad, when are you going to figure out that I just don't want to see you anymore? Okay. I just don't like you. I mean, you have to see that as the survival cry of somebody who has a gun to their head mm -hmm. because that doesn't happen in real life. It just doesn't. And it doesn't mean what you think it means be just because you got divorced and your child is spending so much time with their mother and your child is maybe starting to resemble more and more their mother, which is another very <laughs> troubling thing that happens. It never stops being true that, that they want what they can't have mm -hmm. uh, from you, right? And so, you know, the message is to uh, take all the breaks you need, but never give up. Never give up. Take all the breaks you need to, to get your head together, to get healthy. It'll happen over and over again, right? Take a break, take a break, take a break, but never give up because your day is coming, guaranteed. Yeah. I'm a firm believer of making memories with your kids. Take that positive interactions, go make memories, say, hey, remember when we did this, or this, and the other, but be the best father you could be when you have your kids. Because we did 50-50. And so my mm -hmm. deal was I didn't worry about what happened at mom's house. I always concentrated on what was going on at my house. So take that positive energy and go from there. But we want to thank Tracy. Man, that was way different than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very Good. much.
tell us about your uh, online presence, and and I'll have all those connected at the bottom of the show notes. But go ahead yeah, and speak so to that. there is an Undeletable Dad podcast available everywhere. Uh, UndeletableDad.com is the website. You can reach me through Tracy at UndeletableDad.com. And within the next couple of days, uh, TracyPoisner.com will be up and running. And that will be a, another way to find me and all the, uh, all the mindset and medicine stuff that I do. Okay. Well, thank you for your time on this. Um, it's actually snowing here. So there you oh, go. Wow. But uh, I'm going to be on Tracy's podcast coming up one of these days, too. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Because I am not a deletable dad. So, But thank you for your time, <laughs> Tracy. Be My pleasure. It. And we'll definitely do this again because I think we just scratched the surface. So we got more to talk yeah. about. Yeah, so, great. Take care. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.